Welcome, everybody. Welcome to this uh, late episode this week. Apologies. Um, it might even be just irrelevant, this comment, because I might just release this on Sunday and then it will just be, I'll have missed a week and then I'll just be saying I've completely broken my new commitment to my bi-weekly podcast by now missing a week and doing um, doing a, I don't know what you call a, one, one every three weeks, because thrice weekly would be three a week, wouldn't it? I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about, really. Anyway, it all doesn't matter, does it? It's been a bit of a nightmare. It's last week, obviously, in the UK. For those of you that are not in the UK, we had a bit of a shock announcement on Tuesday. So um, I missed my I missed my opportunity on Sunday to do my usual uh, recording. Um, and then Monday, I was back at work. Um, after having a week and a half off, and uh, I'd, I'd really had a week and a half off, I'd re-switched off, so it was a bit full on on Monday, uh, and then didn't get round to, Monday night I was going to do it, and then didn't get round to it, because I had other things going on. Um, Tuesday, um, it became clear during Tuesday that something was going to happen in the country, and Tuesday night, Mr... Johnson, our Prime Minister, announced another full lockdown. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a gutter, really. So then, yeah, so then work's been crazy since then. So just not had a chance to record this. And it's just a headspace thing as well. But it was basically, this episode was not going to be, not in the usual format. Um, I mean, it'll be as rambly as normal, but just talking about some stuff that's going on this year, um, things things that I hope to get done. Um, just trying to kind of be positive and uh, trying to get a few things together that I've not really got together uh, previously. Uh, that I've been ambitions of mine. Um, you know, things like getting a new website. I mean, people know the story about my old website. If you listen to one of those episodes ages ago, where I had a bit of a rant about this useless company called Host Zone lost my. I used to have this thing, DaveWalsh.net. I'd, I'd owned that since 2000 and, uh, 2001, I think, I bought that. I might have been earlier than that. But anyway, you know, I, I lost it because they, they didn't pay for my hosting. They missed the payment window. It's supposed The payment window is supposed to be mid uh, one minute past midnight. Uh, it was on a renewal. I just had an auto-renewal, and they didn't take the payment till 1 a.m. and the website had gone by then the people that owned that site had put it up for sale um because it used to be top of google dave walsh if you type dave walsh into google it used to be the top one that used to come up because it used to get quite a lot of traffic a long time ago and then i just it was a the website was something that i lost interest in um particularly as I got more into Instagram and different, uh, particularly actually Instagram, the other social media I don't really interact with, but um, I just found the Instagram thing was a more interesting way of, um, you know, interacting with people and what have you. Um, and the website, I needed someone to really build my website properly. I, I made my website and it was basically, you can tell it's made by an, an amateur. It, it was a crap website. Um and a lot of the video content I had on there, which which was originally driving the traffic, um, I deleted all of it off YouTube. I got rid of it all because I didn't like it anymore. It was it was really old footage and it wasn't very good quality. And then some of the other playing on it I didn't like. You know, it was out of date. 
And because, you know, there's not a lot we're in control of these days out there when you when you put things out into the world on social media or other people record you and share, but what you are in control of and you're not happy with, you can, you know, delete it and get rid of it. And I just, those those videos were really of a different time for me. So I deleted that stuff off YouTube. So the, the, sort of the, the website itself became redundant and I updated it very, very, very infrequently. I had very small amounts of traffic. Um, it used to get uh, about 100 visits a day um, in its kind of peak, I suppose. And that went on for a long time, went on for a few years. Because of these videos I had on there, I used to have these videos demonstrating some um, techniques and stuff. But uh, So I lost the URL, davewalsh.net, which I was really, really upset about because I, I, it was something I wanted to keep because it had built up this... Um, this thing on Google, it was, I don't know how it works, but it takes ages for Google to kind of pick up on, like my podcast, this podcast I put onto Google Podcasts, it took weeks and weeks for it to uh, even register from the RSS feed as being actually live on Google, you know, and it gets hardly any listens on Google. Most people listen to this, uh, or, you know, all my three listeners or whatever they are, listen to this um, I think through Apple, Spotify, or even off Podomatic directly, but the Google side of it is is very very small. Um, but anyway, blah blah blah. I go off on one as normal immediately. Um, but no, the so I wanted to get a new website, so I bought two URLs this uh, last twelve months, um, and my uh, partner uh, girlfriend she has her own website now this uh, learn music together academy thing which uh, which is she's launched this year and she's put a load of time into that and she's it's a membership site and she's built members and stuff and it's something that uh, she's had to do because we're you know changing circumstances of work and um, and she's worked really really hard on it and it's brilliant what she's done she's built a brilliant website all on her own you know and uh, I used to know I used to think I knew a lot about the websites and stuff until until she got into building this site and I realised that um, I didn't know anything about it. And especially when you're getting into like things like payment, you know, like a paywall, you know, somewhere where you have a membership behind a, uh, a paywall. It's very complicated. Um, and she's got into all that stuff. So this year, at some point, I'm going to kind of... Uh, I'm going to ask her um, if she'll build me a website, you know, and um, all that kind of stuff. Um It'd be one that I can edit really easily on probably a WordPress or something, you know. But uh, um, yeah, so that was kind of it, really. It's just so the thing is designing the website and all that kind of stuff. And the and the the, the thing is going to be basically centered around the title of this podcast. My website is going to be pointing, I think, towards this drums in the shed thing. It might not do, but that's what my initial gut thing was. I'm trying to, you know, whether. It's kind of like finding something that's a little bit unique, even if it's not amazing or quirky or whatever. It's just that thing of having something that nobody else is using. And like the hashtag thing on Instagram, Drums in the Shed, is, you know, it's got hardly any any uses at all. And, and, and I post a few things on Instagram. I think most of the things on Drums in the Shed are actually my stuff. So it's, you know, creating a, uh, creating a hashtag that people maybe start following or that kind of stuff is useful when you're trying to build a brand, I think. Um, but it's mainly to have my the idea. Eventually, what I want is to um, is to create a load of videos that run through my. Um, I have a book 
sort of thing that I've written that I use at college, which is a jazz drum sort of workbook, and it, and it deals with some fundamental areas of sort of getting into jazz drums. And um, I, my, uh, I'd like to make some videos that basically run alongside that book, you know, and have them on a on a on a site, which is a pay site. Um, and people can be a membership of that site, have a, you know, be, be a member of that site, and they can um, use those resources. And it's really to to sort of support the um, the kind of remote teaching, which um, I've done a little bit of this year uh, since the lockdown, first lockdown. Done a, few, a little bit of remote teaching privately. Uh, I do a load at college, and it's brilliant. It works really well, um, just because of my personal circumstances. And at the moment, we're going to be doing it anyway. But um, I've, I've given a few remote lessons, and I've had I'm I'm having remote lessons as well with somebody in America, and it works really well. Um, and, but it's you know it's it's a niche market because I'm not I'm not chasing numbers. I, I'm I'm after. Specific types of students, I think, that kind of want to get into um, a specific area of drums, you know. Um, I think it's important to sort of be clear about how you're, you know, kind of marketing what you're doing and keeping it to a manageable number of people. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, that's the long-term plan. Whether I get the website built this year and get all that, all those resources created and everything is unlikely. But it's definitely a long-term plan. <clears throat> um and so, one of the first things I have managed to get sorted out was I, I I write these tracks to practice to, and I've posted been on posted on Instagram, and I've been doing it for years. Um, and from time to time, I've had people who have asked me um, about the tracks, you know. Um, and one of the things that my partner, she's learned doing some marketing training courses for her website, learning about that thing, was um, like we're both a little bit perfectionisty, you know, a bit we, we don't sort of like to do things unless they're kind of right, you know. Um, and that can be great for certain things. It can also be a bit of a barrier for some things because it means that you, I'm a bit of a procrastinator, so it, it can mean I don't get anything ever, don't get anything done, you know. And I found it quite challenging with personal practice and stuff about getting over that side of my personality and, and having a different mindset, which I've worked very, very hard on in the last year and, and made big strides psychologically, you know. Um, so the thing that with these play-alongs is that what I decided just before Christmas was that I was going to mix um, a load of them down, um, stick a click on the front of them, and just release them on Bandcamp for seven, like 75p each. Um, you can buy the whole collection for £7.50. There's 19 up there, and it's just going to keep growing. The price may increase a bit for the whole collection. Um, it may it may end up being £10 or something. Um, so I don't know what that is. The dollar at the most is about $13, I think, something like that. Um, but the idea was... Um, just having having these things available, and if people want to buy them, just download their own copy of them. Uh, and then the sort of the digital album, so the whole collection has a as a as a as a little video which has some demos attached to it, and it's also there's a PDF for one of the for one of them because it needs a chart. One of them, one of them is like an exercise, which has it's this shifting semiquaver thing, sixteenth note thing that shifts forward. It goes forward a semiquaver. Uh, well, or, or back if you want to think about it. like it goes one later each each eight bar cycle, 
<clears throat> so, um, but yeah, but the idea ultimately when the price will go up significantly is that I'm going to create uh, PDF parts for each one of the play-alongs. And that puts them in a different price bracket for me because at the moment they don't have any parts. So that you, if, if people are going to play along to them, they just need to learn them by ear, which actually I'm really into. You know, the idea of that much more appeals to me than than creating these PDF parts that that people can follow and read and play along with the play-alongs. Uh, that's not really uh, the vibe of them, you know. But I think if you have a product where um, you do have the the play alongs or sorry the the PDF supporting documentation as like a score. I think it kind of puts it into a different price bracket because it's like it becomes like a bit of a publication thing, doesn't it? You know, the, the the thing that's more important is the publication than the actual track, and uh, they probably they'd probably go up to one pound fifty once they get a score, and then the whole collection will probably be like twenty quid or something, you know. But that's something I'm, I've started uploading and made a little show reel on the video and stuff for that. And anyone that's been on Instagram has probably seen a little demo of that. Um, it's a nightmare because, like, uh, as you add tunes, like the show reel, I made a whole show reel of all nineteen, and it's like four and a half minutes long. You know, it's like no one's going to watch a four and a half minute show reel. People want to watch you know, minute maximum. And I'm so I made one that was a minute long for Instagram so I could post it on the, you know, just on the feed. And, uh, and yeah, you can hardly get anything into a minute, you know. But, uh, but anyway, it's just about pointing it to davewalsh.bandcamp.com. That's the vibe. Um, I also don't talk about it on here, but I, I have this Patreon site which I've ne never advertised to anybody and nobody knows about it, so there's no members. The Patreon site is something that, uh, I want to sort of link into the website membership thing. So eventually people will be able to um, have the choice. If they want to have, say, a lesson, um, there's two kind of ways of doing it. One is just to have a private lesson, which um, which people can contact me directly to do, which people do. That's what people do at the moment. Um, or you can join the Patreon thing. You can pay an amount a month which basically supports this podcast and all of the sort of the time and the tech that it takes to and the paying for the hosting and stuff um and that tier what it gives you is um, a q a uh, thing once a month with myself uh, if you want it and a uh, a lesson once a month a 40 minute drum lesson one-to-one -one on zoom so, uh, or, or any other FaceTime or whatever, whatever thing you, you, you use, you know. Um, and it's 40 minutes because it's the Zoom thing. Um, there's a free Zoom thing, isn't it, for 40 minutes, basically. Um, that's why I'd use that term, vibe. And, yeah, and it's not a huge amount. It's uh, it's £25 a month. Um, I said I wasn't going to talk about figures, but I just knew, was just thinking about, and yeah, that's like a pro-rated uh, rate for the one-to-one. -one. It's it's quite discounted, actually, to be honest with you. It's not even, uh, it's not even. I wouldn't even cover half an hour normally. Anyway, that's you know, uh, the, the the if you want to get have, have a lesson once a month with myself for a really cheap rate, 
and support the podcast <laughs> the patreon way is the way to do it and that's exactly why i did it you know because um, it was to sort of build a bit of a community um, but anyway it's not been launched yet and i'm only talking about it now because it's something i'm going to do this year uh, all the pages set up I, I set it up quite a long time ago uh, it took me ages to do it and it was something that somebody that i know on instagram um, known for a long time a drummer um, who lives i think she lives up she live up now near somewhere. I think she might be in Canada. Anyway, she mentioned it to me. She said you should do Patreon because all your stuff is. She, she really likes my stuff, you know. And she was saying that it's a great way to reach out to people and get people to support what you do. Um, and so I joined it and didn't know what to do with it, and so I just left, parked it, you know, created the account, and went. I've got no idea of actually what to do with this, and I still don't really know what to do. So I'm going to do probably a couple of online or a couple of training courses about online um, marketing stuff there's somebody i mean i i know the guy called scott divine uh, quite well we played together quite a lot uh, time to time I've, do, I've done a course for scott's space lessons a blues course which i played on with nick's fark nick's uh, trio um one of his trios is um his various different trios with uh, he's got he's got a different trio with a great drummer called Steve Hanley and, and a great organ player called Martin Longhorn, uh, and then he's got another great trio with Andy Scott, mega sax player, and Dave Hassel, my old drum teacher, great great uh, drummer musician. They've got it's quite free, I think that. Um, and then there's a trio, there's the Spark Trio, which has kind of got two different bands, and it, mainly because. Um, the bass player Gary Jackson went to live in Spain for a while, um, and then we were going to do the the project with Scott. Uh, and we've done quite a few gigs when Gary's not been available. We've done it with Scott anyway, and and then we just wanted to do something with Scott because it was just a different thing and uh, it's just a different vibe. And me and Nick have talked about this is all very rambly, but we've talked about doing a duo project as well, and. Um, yeah, we've, we've, we've played together. Me, me and Nick have known each other a long time. Me and Gary have known each other for like a long, long time. And uh, and also Scott. So, But the thing with Scott is I was really would, would love to tap his um, his knowledge a little bit, pay him a little bit to, uh, to understand how to set up a kind of site like this. Because Scott's bass lessons, as anybody who's listening to this knows or knows anything about the world of online um, kind of membership sites, it is huge and then this guy has nailed it and and he's such a great guy he's such a he's such a great um communicator you know he's got such a nice vibe the way he talks and the way he communicates uh it really really appeals to a wide demographic of people you know um because he's a he's a great bass player proper serious bass player and he's studied properly, you know, and he's a great reader and he plays loads of different styles and stuff. And um, But he, he's got that great thing. And people I've worked with in the past, educators and people who, who I've worked with, where they have this great way of communicating with all age groups and really, like, saying the same thing but, but feel like you're speaking to that age group. You know, that's quite an art, that. It's a gift that not a lot of people have. You know, when I'm talking in a room in front of people about drums, if I'm doing a masterclass or some sort of workshop thing, you know, I like the demographic to be within a within a certain age range, 
um, or within a certain interest range because <laughs> because the way I communicate and what I'm talking about, it gets a little bit geeky and a little bit um, specific, I think is the, is the terminology. Um, I don't have that ability to have to sort of, to sort of communicate this kind of wider thing. I don't think in that context. You know, I think maybe I'm being a little bit hard on myself, but I probably could tailor what I do to. But Scott's just nails it all the time. You watch any of those clips, any of the promo clips that he does, and the thing is, he's on all that stuff. You know, he's not he's not set he's not created this site, and then and then as it's turned into this huge business and huge numbers in the world of members. He's not then sort of stepped away from it, left his face on it, and then let somebody else do all the presenting. He's doing, you know, he's working his ass off creating content still, you know. And he's got, and he's also got some amazing people uh, affiliated with that, you know, people that create content for him and are with and un, under that brand, you know. And uh, I think that's a great thing. Uh, my my sort of dream, really to put it out there would be to uh, to create my own content and have my own kind of identity, you know, what I do, but be part of something bigger, um, really, because I, I, I kind of don't really want to be out on my own doing it, you know, that's never been my... But it kind of, you know, it feels like that at first, but to, to have an aspiration of, of, um, of being able to sort of create content that's really interesting unique and clear and is of high um, my thing is 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 of high value in relation to the information and the quality you know um and and that's an that's an interesting talking point isn't it because the high quality thing is like some people go for this for the shoe shiny camera kind of 4k thing but yet the information and what's being shared is is either very generic or it's it's not very high quality or it's not even very accurate, you know. Or you go for, you know, something that's uh, less high quality in relation to the camera, but the information and the playing and all that stuff that's within the actual content is is of very high quality and very high accuracy, you know, and and very helpful. And I favour the second one. Um, but at some point, I am going to invest in a better camera. I've got some good cameras. I've got all the Zoom stuff, Q8 and Q4 and stuff, and um, Q2, and he's all that stuff for teaching. Uh, the Q8, I think, is a good camera, you know, um, but a DSLR or something. You know, I mean, my my girlfriend's got a really good Panasonic that she uses for her filming, and um, and I think that's kind of the way to go for me eventually when I when I get that together. But it's just having time. I don't have the time to do any of that anyway because um, because I have a job, you know, and it's uh, full on. But it's just this kind of thing long term of because I I think you know you if you can get stuff up there. So the thing with the playalongs was to get it up there, even though it's not perfect and it's not finished. It's just to get things out there and tell people that you're getting things out there. So the website would be that. The play-along thing is going to be that. The drums and the shed, the podcast thing. Um, this is, I mean, I'm really, for me, I, I'm really happy with how this podcast um, thing has been going f from a personal perspective. It's been very therapeutic for me. 
Um, it's been a great little, you know, uh, a time every week or every two weeks or every three weeks, as I'm saying now, um, <laughs> to just to reflect a bit on what's been going on with, with drums and stuff. And uh, and that's kind of actually, so I, I feel like I've been doing like a big marketing thing for 20 minutes and that never was the intention. Oh, sorry about that. If you just listen to a load of, um, it's not some Jedi mind trick of marketing this. Uh, it was genuinely what I, the, the, the year ahead, the new year update thing is mainly about what's going on with my drumming, actually. Um, and it excludes any live playing because at the moment it just does not look like anything's going to be happening. Um, I'm not even sure about the summer at the moment. Um, I know festivals are booking and stuff, but I'm not sure. I, I, I my, my kind of barometer for this whole pandemic thing was uh, the, the disco classical project that I'm involved with, which features um, Kathy Sledge, um, one of the members of Sister Sledge, and her kind of she has a, a daughter and stuff um, work with her, and they're a great team of people, and they're very very professional, and she's an amazing singer, and they work with this disco classical project, which has. Uh, four of the singers who are national UK sort of nationally known singers who are mega, um, are mainly based around Manchester. One of one of them is based down uh, down south and is quite well known. Uh, was on quite a big TV show and stuff. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that. But they, it's a great show uh, and it's a great gig for me because it's not stuff that I normally do. And I was very lucky to get asked to do it. And it's one of those things again where I pinch myself and think, you know. Um, this is mega because it's a proper orchestra and it's proper in ears thing. Really great rhythm section. My, you know, one of my favourite bass players, Richard Hammond's on that gig, and Lee Muller, my really old dear friend, a great percussionist, he's on that gig, and the rest of the rhythm section, um, Tom Fripp and uh, Jasper Wilkinson, George King. It's just a mega vibe, and those guys are hilarious to be around. It's just the best. I can't tell you how funny it is, you know, and. Um, yeah, great conductor Tim Crooks and uh, and this Manchester Camerata, uh, which basically do the Hacienda Strings thing, and they've also worked with New Order and do all sorts of funky stuff. They're a really interesting orchestra, and I've also done some work with them doing um, when they do um, gigs, playing film music, and they need a kit player. I've I've done a bit of uh, a few of those for them, two or three. Um, which I really enjoy. I love those gigs. It's just a different. It's again, it's a thing to work. You know, working with an orchestra and working with a conductor, and it's a very different thing. And, and having to, you know, do a quick read and doing a bit of percussion, a bit of snare drum playing, which I always find a bit of a nightmare in those situations because it's, um, you know, it's different. It's a different thing than playing kit. But I'm a pretty good snare drum player, so and that's and that's one of my ambitions for this year is to become a, a much better snare drum player like I used to be and, and I've kind of got some new books and stuff which I've been working on so that's one of the bits of news um, but the disco classical thing the gig we had a gig at, uh, in Henley I think at the regatta I'm not sure anyway it was um, in it was last June and it got cancelled um, there was two gigs actually Um one was at the race course in Newcastle and one was, um, yeah, at, at Henley. Um, I think that's right. Anyway, this gig got cancelled and it was rescheduled for uh, July 2021. And I was thinking, right, that's going to be my first gig again, you know. And then things looked like they'd really improved during the summer. 
Um, but for me, the vaccine's always been the big thing. I, I you know, because of my sort of personal circumstances of past health problems, my, I've always would always feel um, much better if um, you know I'd had if I'd had a vaccine. You know, to, just to feel completely um, differently about you know about about the whole vibe, the whole situation. Just have some kind of protection, you know, uh, away from wearing face masks and, and social distancing and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, so at the moment I was kind of thinking because it's new lockdown and we've got this new variant that we've discovered in the UK. It's not only in the UK, but you know, we've got we've got this um, we've got these researchers in the UK which are quite world leading, I think. And they uh, found this variant, and it's particularly bad in in London and the southeast. And it, but it has spread around. It's up here as well now and stuff. So, um, so the <clears throat> the issue with that is that it settles back, you know, uh, and we've gone into this full lockdown again. So I'm thinking, I'm not sure whether there are going to be any gigs this summer. Um, things are probably going to be next September, you know, when the next academic year. Um, I think things will be back to pretty much back to a kind of normality. A lot of people will have had the vaccine by then, and um, and there'll be a lot more data on how well the vaccine has is protected and slowed down the transfer of the virus. Let's you know. Anyway, I don't want to talk as much about coronavirus, but I don't see much gigging going on. So a lot of my personal drumming things for the next twelve months, I'm just looking at twelve month thing now. Really, realistically is about personal goals and things that I'm going to be working on and having having three or four, you know, kind of headline things, really. Um, and so the lessons that I'm taking are going to continue. I've just booked my next one, which is next Wednesday. Um, and I've got a load of stuff that I've been practising for that and I've done, you know, pretty well with that, feel pretty good about the progress that I've made with the sort of limited time that I have. Um, I did do quite a lot of playing over Christmas. I made a promise like on the last podcast to have a week off, and I didn't have a week off. I had Christmas Day off, uh, off the pad. Um, and then I think New Year's Day I had off as well, off, off the pad. Um, but all the other days I was either on the pad or and pad and kit. So... Um, but I was really into it, and I feel like because we've gone back to work on Monday, I feel really out of it now, out of the drum thing. Um, I was pl- trying to play some of the snare drum stuff I've got yesterday after work, and I was really struggling to even read it and focus because my head's full of we've got so many things going on at the moment because of this this lockdown, having to change some of the... Um, having to look at what we're going to do about teaching and stuff. Uh, which we've done we've done it anyway we, we did it all last year and we, we did a really great job of it i was really proud to be part of um the uh, collective effort that um that leads conservatoire which was leads college of music then the, the way we responded to the pandemic and the way in which we got everything online and how positive all the staff were and you know and the students as well and uh, the you know how we just it was we were very very quick I thought we did a great job of it, and I think it was a co- really collective effort on every level throughout the organisation, you know, and um, really shows you actually um, the depth of, um, you know, of an organisation when everybody really pulls together and focuses. And so that's where we are at the moment, is it? but it's just a lot of work, and, I, I you know, I've got, 
certain things I need to do, but you know, the, some of the things um, that people on a higher level, senior management stuff, are doing is like full on, you know, and trying to get trying to get information from the government and stuff about what we can do. But we're not starting teaching till February, beginning of February, because stuff got put back anyway because of this travel window thing. Because they had to have a travel two week travel window for all students in the UK because they had to be able to have the option of self isolating or quarantining. Uh, after they had a COVID test when they travelled. So um, we have got a bit of wriggle room this month, but in sort of relation to the headspace thing, um, yeah, it takes a lot of headspace up. So it was like funny how I was really on the reading side of the snare drum thing when I over Christmas. I really got into this new book that I bought. I want to, I want to tell you what the book is, but I don't think I can pronounce the name of it. I was very lucky. We've got a gr- amazing guy called Jason Brown, coming to do a workshop next week, an online workshop, uh, American jazz drummer, I think from New York. I think I might have mentioned this in the last podcast. Anyway, um, he told me about this guy, uh, I think it's Lefebvre. Uh, I don't think I've said that right, and I apologise to anybody that knows anything about French. Um, it's called Le Tambour, and it's a technique supérieure. It's a superior technique, drum technique book. There you go, drum superior technique. Um, and it's been, I think it's been Alphonse Ludek, uh, I think, has done the kind of editing. Uh, but it's basically, so it's this whole thing. I mean, Jay, when I, I spoke to Jason when I was trying to book him for this workshop, we were talking about snare drum. He's a brilliant snare drum player, I think, really proper snare drum player. And um, we were talking about, um, developing Dexterity, Mitchell Peters, which is a book I've talked about a long, like, I think he's, there's even a picture of it on one of the podcast things. Um, and he he mentioned this book, um, he said, because it's a different way of uh, playing the snare drum. Um, and in the foreword, uh, it's really interesting because it, he's right. It is. It's a different approach than the Swiss or the American rudimentary system, you know. So um, it's quite exciting to have like um, some like new material that's um, that's definitely going to like help develop some areas of my playing on the snare drum, which I, which going to be easily transferable to the kit, you know. And uh, and it, you get straight into some really quite complex exercises. Um, anyway, that's one of my big things this year is to be uh, a better snare drum player, just fundamentally. Because um, anybody anybody that I've taught um, knows that one of my beliefs is that to be a good drum kit player. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not talking about being a good drummer. Uh, just is is the different types of players, aren't there? If you want to be a sort of uh, a really flexible pro drummer that plays loads of different styles and and particularly has a nuance towards the jazz kind of styles and that sort of music, and and uh, I think you need to be a good snare drum player. That's my belief, you know. Uh, but there's different schools, isn't there? Different different approaches, you know, to that. And this French system. Is interesting. It's definitely, from a reading perspective, it's really challenging. And it's also, there's loads of these groups of five and stuff in these role exercises and things, which I've never really practiced before, to be to be completely honest with you, you know. It's a real hole. 
in um, in my vocabulary, you know. So, and I've been doing a lot of work on odd time signatures, but I've not been doing a lot of work on just playing odd groupings within regular time signatures. Um, and even straight away, even on like page four, you know, there's some quite interesting uh, exercises that are in quintuplet things, you know, with with rolls and different accents and um, quite challenging to count, you know, just to stay on top of for me. So, yeah, that's that's, that's really exciting. The, and the drum lessons are continuing. And within that the, sort of banner of the drum lessons is that I have the, this big ambition I've talked about in the last podcast about the uh, left foot clave thing, which I've been doing some work on and made some strides with that already. Um, I definitely feel confident enough by next December I'm going to be able to do a podcast and play uh, something for you that's got left foot clave in it. Um, I think I'm probably going to be able to do that by uh, by March. But anyway, I'll you know I can live with it for a while. I, the, the commitment was made, the accountability was made to you all by December, so I'll stick to that, which gives me a bit of a window. But I've been practicing some quite interesting exercises, uh, and again from the last podcast, uh, some of them are the stuff that Sergio gave me, and some of the stuff that are from the lessons that I've been having and some interpreted things from the lessons that I've had, and also from um, from this workshop recording which I have uh, of John Riley's from quite a few years ago, which had some of this brilliant stuff in it for using the Ted Reed, um, the Ted Reed uh, books, you know, those, um, those exercises that we all use for lots of different things. Um... And one of the things he talked about was the, was the funk, the Dave Garibaldi style, Steve Gadd style funk way of using them. And I kind of, I think I mentioned this before, I kind of started practicing them two or three months ago and I kind of quite quickly got on top of them and I thought it was going to take me ages. But I think I default to an inverted paradiddle. So they, you know, they were the left, left in the middle. Uh, and the right, right in the middle, uh, right, left, left, right, left, right, right, left. You know, I default to that anyway. Uh, so those exercises played like that came to me a lot easier than I, than I, I thought they would. And because I'd been practicing some bass drum stuff anyway, you know. So, um, but yeah, so that's kind of um, that's the sort of. So within that, the, the big things are still coordination, loads of coordination stuff that I really want to work on. Um, keeping this commitment to sitting low is definitely a big one. Um, developing my uh, my little room, making it more not more more dampened, like more not more soundproof. I think I think I've kind of I don't have enough room to make it more soundproof. I'd have to pull I have to pull the whole shed down and start again i am limited by the room that i've actually got in the shed uh physically you know and, and the site where it is um it's we're limited up here to the actual room uh, and we built the second half of the shed where the drums live now that was built literally that was as much as we could squeeze out of the space because it's right next to this cliff edge the quarry um so the path gets very tight in the in the top corner now where the where the other the second door is so um but yeah making so making but just getting a bit more better at recording drums you know uh i spent a lot of time in the last six months learning about 
recording drums and i and there's a few things that i've recorded recently that i listen back to and i actually quite like the sound of them you know and so i was really pleased about that because it's that thing of when you i spent years and years and years um having my drums recorded even in quite good studios and getting the the, the end result after these things have been mastered and still feeling like the drums sounded a little bit demo-y. Like there just wasn't quite that thing about the drums that was what I would hear on all the records that I would hear. And, you know, most of that is down to, uh, it's not down to me, it's down to the studios and the way it was mixed and all those kind of, and, and also situations where you're compromising, you know, so situation where you're um in the same room as a piano which is of course a horror show for drums and for the piano because as soon as you turn either of the mics up particularly the piano mics you get the sound of the drums in the room you know um and they and when you turn the you know the drum mics up you get this kind of echo of the piano um but it's definitely worse for the piano because as soon as I mean I remember mixing this album once and I was quite involved with getting the drum sound together and I remember being quite being quite happy with this sort of drum sound that I got together and the, it was in it was in this studio I used to do quite a lot of stuff in it, and it had a really nice room uh, you know it was a really it was a big wooden room it had a nice sound it had a nice natural ambience you know it was a nice room to record in it was a great room to record drums in it was a nice room to record saxophone as well and things like that uh, it wasn't so good for vocals and piano and things because it was there was a little bit too much resonance that you couldn't get rid of but the resonance for for sort of sax and things like that and drums was great because you know it because um, it had a nice sound the room and but the problem is we recorded the piano, this grand piano, in the room with me because it was just a big room and we were at either end. We had headphones but and we had screens, but the drums were just bleeding all over the piano mics. So as soon as we mixed these drums and they sounded good, and you could hear a little bit of remnants of uh, the background noise, a bit of um, piano, uh, the sax and the bass were recorded in, in, the, uh, in a different room. So... Um, the, they, there was no spill but there was spill from piano to drums and then we went to mix the piano and as soon as we turned the piano up the drums sounded awful you know and there was no way around that there was no way of um of being able to go oh right okay yeah we can do this magic trick to get rid of you know this uh background sound or whatever because of the nature of the music you know it was jazz and it was quite full-on uh, more kind of fusion-y sort of jazz music you know and so anyway that that felt like it feels to me like my sort of recording life from like being in like the age of like late 20s up until um probably like uh, 10 years ago really Everything felt like a little demo-y, you know. Uh, and then I did some um, some recording with uh, Tom Cray, um, 2012, the um, Did I Sleep and Mr. Border album and the Buzzer Tree Sessions. We recorded a lot of stuff at a place called Bryn Derwin in Wales, a residential studio, which is sadly gone now. But um, that was a beautiful room 
the live room for drums there was beautiful, beautiful. And it was in, it was in like a private estate, you know, and uh, we were there for a couple of weeks and stuff. It was mega. Um, but the interesting thing about that was that the album, we, we recorded it 2012 and, and, and the album uh, didn't get released till 2015 and, and, and it wasn't mixed. Well, I didn't, I certainly didn't hear any of the mixes for, for at least two and a half years from, from recording, you know. We toured that album a little bit in the spring of 2015 um, with a slightly different band. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we did like a promo gig in London and we did a programmer gig in uh, Belgium and uh, quite small gigs. Uh and then we did a and then we did a tour in the autumn um with the uh, with the sort of regular band um and uh that was um about seven about seven or eight gigs i think it was only a very short tour it might have even been five gigs but it was kind of really nice gigs um but the out, we did we did the recording in uh, it was done in spring, very late winter, early spring 2012. Um, and it was very, it was actually quite an interesting time because I um, had been really ill before we did the recording. I got um, some kind of um, sort of norovirus thing. And uh, I had it for. I had it for nearly two weeks and um, I was down to just drinking water which you know still was my body still wasn't very happy about me having but um, I went from this situation of um, I was living alone at the time um, I was living in this place called Heckman Wyke in this little tiny little weird little cottage tiny little house that only had one door uh, it's a weird place very very weird time in my life but it was when I was single and um it was uh yeah I got I got this thing I, I must have got it I mean, I'll have got it probably at work you know uh, probably from just being around you know lots of different people students and things I don't know whatever just sort of picked it up um just before the Easter holidays and uh and it was um it was before I was full time. I was still a part timer. It was just it was a year before I got my job, and uh, I was really really poorly, like more poorly than I'd ever been with anything in, in my life before. You know, I was like just properly, just couldn't do anything. You know, couldn't even couldn't eat anything or even drink water. You know, and this recording session had been in the book for ages, and Tom and. Uh, his wife uh, Amy and Brian Wright, this um, this uh, brilliant artist who works with that band, but he's a great artist in his own right as well. But Brian played he plays a lot of guitar and slide guitar and vocals and things on that album. Uh, Brian had come over from Nashville, uh, and they they were already there, I think. Yeah, they were already there, and they stayed on after we left. They did some stuff together, some. Uh, videoing and some duo things and stuff um so 
I had to be I had to be well by the time you know I went and uh, yeah I was like really 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 poorly I hadn't eaten anything and I'd lost like I'd lost like a stone and a half nearly of weight you know anyway um, it came the day before and I just started to feel slightly better um, and. I had to go, I had this track day booked because I, I used to, did a lot more driving then. I'd, I used to waste a lot more money on cars and I had my own, I had a little MX-5 that I'd bought and I, it was a, it was a car that I owned for a while. I did a lot of driving in that car for a couple of years and then bought a proper car, but it was one I learned to sort of drive on circuit in and it was a great car. Um, and I went and did a track day and I hadn't eaten for nearly two weeks, you know, and I remember just like feeling so bad but i'd spent all this money because it's like hundreds you know a couple of hundred quid uh and it was a, uh, it was like the weather was going to be okay so i went to this track day and didn't eat anything really and was just sort of drinking a bit of water but was definitely feeling better and then uh then i had to pack up that evening all my stuff and, and drive to wales you know and then when we got to wales um Richard Hammond and Ollie Cunningham, who works with Tom, uh, they're both really, really good cooks. You know, they're a bit chefy, both of them. And um, they could have like a master chef cook off against each other, you know, and it would be proper, proper competitive vibe, you know. And so basically, we got there. You know, it was a residential thing. We, 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 you know, we cooked ourselves, and every night these guys were cooking these mega meals, and I just got myself well during that two weeks, you know. So uh, started eating again when I was there and we were recording, I was tracking drums every morning and then spending the afternoon listening to everyone else tracking and it was great, really great time. But the thing that was funny about that recording was not hearing the recording of it for two and a half years. Um, and when I heard the album mixed and the, how, how forward in the mix the drums are, I was like, that sounds amazing. And it was the first time I'd really heard anything that had that kind of sound in it, you know. And it was like, yeah, because it's like, it's like everything in that process was really thought about. So when I kind of got into building this thing here and getting some better mics and all that stuff and getting a better sound card, I just kind of got a little bit more nerdy about, you know, like metering the drums into the sound card and stuff like that. So that's been a big thing. And I want to I want to kind of improve that over the next year and learn a little bit more about stuff like parallel compression and I'm, I'm using parallel compression but i don't really don't totally think i don't think i quite understand how i'm using it i don't think i'm using it properly i, I don't know i don't think i know how to use it uh, in different ways and how to use it appropriately um and and some of the techniques as well and uh, it'd be good to... And I've done some remote recording for a couple of people very recently, uh, a guy I've worked with for a long time. Arun Ghosh did some stuff for him and and he was saying that the quality was really good, you know, the stems are really clean. So the other side of the website and this whole kind of drums in the shed thing was to sort of maybe sort of promote a little bit being, a, you know, being able to do, being a, someone who can do remote recording for people in lots of different styles, you know, um and and i've got all the i've got all the different kits now because this sonor i bought has got four bass drums you know so i've got the 22 down to the 16 
all the different toms and uh, I've got this Yami as well, the Yamaha jazz kit. And I've got a Catalina Club at the moment, which I've ended up buying because it was going um, for a reasonable price. And I just thought I'd buy it up and keep hold of it for a bit, maybe use it as a gigging kit. But then, you know, there's no gigs at the moment. So um not sure what I'm going to do with that. Maybe split the hardware up. Um, it's all a bit complicated. I've ended up with, like, tons and tons of double braced hardware you know so it's like one of those things where i really should just sell it all but i think no one's buying double brace hardware anymore i've not used double brace hardware uh, for sort of my regular gig in life for um for 20 years nearly i everyone knows who knows me knows that i was using the yamaha single brace stuff for a long, long time, I didn't use when if I tour with Tom or do the, the disco classical thing, I'd, I'd use the double brace stuff. It was because you've got people helping you with gear and carrying gear, and it's also just having that sturdiness when you're on the road. Uh, I'm not, I don't think single braced hardware and also this flat bottom stuff, this this heritage stuff that I've now bought. So I've got the Tama and the DW and the Gibraltar stuff, which is the flat bottom stuff. I don't think any of that stuff. It doesn't stack up when you're on the road and other people are carrying your gear around and even other people are setting your gear up. You want double brace hardware that can be, you know, handled by bears, basically. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I, so I'll keep a, a whole setup of double brace hardware for touring. You know, because um, I'm sure we will be touring again at some point in the next couple of years. Um, and. Uh, but yeah, I got a load of cases as well with this with this Catalina kit as well, and uh, a nice hardware bag with wheels. So I'm sort of trying to work out what to do with it all at the moment. But um, yeah, if anybody's interested though in a, in a Catalina Club jazz kit with an 18 and some um, you know decent hardware and stuff, um, you know full kit with. With bass drum, pedal, and snare stand, and this snare drum stand, and everything, the whole kit, the whole thing. Drop me a line, actually, uh, on on Instagram or on uh, drummyd at gmail dot com, because um, I probably I just am really the, the problem at the moment is I'm as I, I'm talking to you, I've got all these drums that just piled up, and uh, I bought this extra bass drum for the Sonor off um, off this guy Joe Love who owned all the stuff and sold it all to me and he, he he sold this last bit of the jigsaw to me and i had to have it because it was part of the family you know um but i ended up with this 16 inch bass drum oh that's another thing oh, yeah the 16 bass drum this is a bit sacrilege really because um the bass drum is a 16 by 18 it's you know big cylinder basically and uh it's joe had said to me he sent me this article about the Jack Jeanette bass drum that he, when he played with Miles, he had one of these 16 by 18 bass drums. And so, and Joe, me and Joe are both really into Jack, you know. And, um, but when I got this bass drum back, the thing that appealed to me immediately was to chop it down to make it into a little um, portable sort of bop kit thing. Um, and make the bass drum um, 16 by 11, I think is my preferred size. Someone was saying 16 by 12, but I prefer shallower drums uh, ultimately, you know. 
Um, people who know that I used to have this lovely Gen X Premier kit, and somebody um, not too far from me owns it now, and um, and it's a great kit that, and especially the toms. But but the bass drums were always the deeper sizes. It was it was the eighteen by sixteen for the eighteen, and it was a twenty by eighteen, which I had custom made for the kit. Um, and it was always a mistake that, cause that I should never have got that bass drum made, the six, the 20 by 18. I should have got it 20 by 14 uh, because it would have been a great bass drum that, that if it had been 20 by 14. And the 20 by, sorry, the 18 by 16 that I had, I never got on with it because of the depth, you know. I never felt right under the foot. Uh, it was a really nice drum, but... I ne it never felt like I quite got the vibe out of it that I wanted because it was 18, 16 inches deep, you see. Whereas the Sonor one I've got is 14 and it feels absolutely right, you know. But if it was 18 by 14, it would, I think it'd even feel better, even better. Uh, sorry, by 12. If it was 18 by 12 from 18 by 14. I think it'd feel even better because the 22 by 12 that Joe got custom cut down feels mega to play. Um, but having said that, the 20 by 16 is really, really nice. It's a great drum. It's the, be it's the best all-rounder of all of them, you know. So, um, but I said, yeah, I think you can get this drum cut down and then save the other half of the shell that's left. So um, there'd be seven inches left if it was um, chopped to 16 by 11. Um, that could be uh, turned into something interesting further down the line, but it's just to, you know, it'd be just to keep that piece of wood because um, it's a sonophonic shell, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I really immediately was like, oh, I'd like to get this, get a little 16 bass drum. Because uh, Luke Flowers, a great drummer, lives in Manchester. Who, I, if you've listened to Stuart's podcast, we talked about Luke a lot, and uh, I've known Luke a long, long time. And Luke's got a brilliant collection of Canopus drums that he bought when he was touring with um, singer-songwriter Corinne Bailey Ray. He did a lot of, I think he did like a year and a half something with Corinne. He was in that uh, one of her groups at one point, and they did a lot of touring, especially in the States. And Luke... Um, he bought up a whole collection of the Canopus uh, drums and I think he's got about five bass drums but one of the ones one of the bass drums he's got which is great to play is this 15 by 10 I think it is or 11 um, but it's a corking drum to play you know really surprising um, and I did a little depth thing for him touring with uh, with this band called The Breath that Stuart McCallum and um, Rainer Connolly do with John Ellis. Uh, and it's Sam Vickery plays bass in the band now, but it, at the time it was a quartet thing with Luke and John. They did the first album. And it's a great album. If you've not listened to that project, I'd recommend it. It's really beautiful music. If you're really into Stuart's thing, you'll love it. If you're into Rainer's thing, you'll love it. You know, uh, they, both what they do really shines through. And then the, the first album, the drums, Luke's playing his mega on it. It's really, really... I, I had to learn a lot of stuff and I was really privileged to get all the kind of the drum stems on their own and listen to... be able to learn the parts from his actual playing, you know. Um, but when we when I did some depth 
uh, I did some depths for that a few years ago. We did some gigs abroad in Berlin and Amsterdam and um, uh, somewhere else. Uh, I went sorry, I went to watch the gig in Berlin, and then we did a gig in somewhere in Germany, another place in Germany, and then we did a gig in Amsterdam. And uh, he used that fifteen-inch bass drum because he had very limited room in the in the travel arrangements was was really tight the car that they used because they were driving around in Europe and uh, and a 10 inch tom and a 13 inch floor tom and this was where I first played like the 13 floor tom and it's great and I managed to get one now for this sonor and it's my favorite floor tom I mean I love the the 14 I've got that set up on the kit now you know um and the 16 sounds amazing. The 16 is huge. It's a loud, loud drum, you know. But the 13 is great, the way it tunes. It's really, really, um, it's a really beautiful drum. And so, um, but this 15 uh, by um, 15 by 10 or 11 bass drum that he's got, it was mega to play. Um, and it's just that thing of, of not having it too deep, you know. Always feels better. So I was planning. I know who the um, I Joe passed on the details of the guy who did all the uh, the fabrication work on this kit. So I, I'm going to contact him at some point when we can travel again. Because at the moment I can't travel, so I, you know I can't um, I can't get the drum to him. I wouldn't post the drum. I'd take it to him. Um, it would just be cheaper and it's safer. But that's not possible at the moment. But it's that's an ambition for this year to get that kind of... And then just to consolidate all these drums, you know. Um, I was, again, I mentioned this before, but the, the Yamaha, I did again think about selling it, but I love that kit. And then did some recording. I think I mentioned this in the last podcast as well. Did some this recording for um, this film score thing and used that kit and it just sounded great. And it is a different sound, the toms, you know, even after thinking about it now, the way the way the rims, the different sort of die cast rims from the Sonor to the Yamaha, and just playing the tom, the, the 12, it's just a different thing, like the sound and the emotion of it, you know. So because the kit I've got, uh, one of the reasons why I'm not using the 13 floor tom on the kit here set up because I'm using the 13 rack, Um I just decide. I really like 13s, you know, and one of the big dreams with this Sonor kit was to get the 12-13-14. There's like the Jeff Tame Watts setup because he's a Sonor player and he has his 12-13 thing with an 18. And uh, I was so made up to get those sizes and not have uh, deep drums, shall not shallow but standard size or, or you know not oversized toms. So. Um, I had the setup, um, the 12, 13, 14 setup for quite a while here at home. And then I um, I wanted to get back into some jazz um, practice and writing and playing. So I, I took the 13 off and then uh, and now I've decided to take 12 and put 13 on. So it's, it's uh, 14, 13, 14, snare, two toms, 13 and 14. And trying to tune the, tw the 13 like the 12, but quite challenging doesn't quite tune in the same way it's not quite the same it's interesting um so yeah consolidation of all the drum stuff is a big one this year um because i've found my kit now you know um i was offered this um 
amazing snare drum which I recorded with. I was I was offered that snare drum a few days ago, but the but the it's too much money um, for me at the moment. Um, it's not it's not the wrong money; it's the right money, but it's too much money for me. And it's one of them where you think, well, if you could afford it, why would you not own it? Because it's something that you'll have forever then, you know. And uh, that kind of money in a lifetime is a blink of an eye, isn't it, really? Because the Craviotto was that for me when I really thought it through when uh, I got offered this Craviotto by Barry Race at BR. Um, got offered a choice of these Craviottos that he had in stock, these snare drums. It was uh, actually... I was so hesitant at the time. I was very, I was really skint at the time, but it was just that thing of, uh, um, of, uh, in hindsight, why would I think, why would I even think about it? You know what I mean? It's like silly because you just think, well, it's not something that you're going to, if it's, if you buy the right thing, it's not something you'll ever sell. So it's irrelevant. The money's irrelevant. Um, it's like my jazz special edition 21, my Istanbul Agop Jazz Special Edition Ride, the 21, you know. I mean, that didn't cost me a huge amount of money because I'd, I'd, at the time I had this endorsement, so I was getting the symbols at a, at a really good price. Um, I wasn't getting anything free, but I was getting stuff at, you know, very, very, um, a, a good price in order to kind of tool yourself up, you know, with a good selection of stuff. Because um, that's kind of really what endorsements are, you know. There's there's the free stuff. I don't. I've never had that in my life. Uh, I did. I did with Evans heads for a while. I used to get an allowance, free allowance of Evans heads, and um, and that that's not happening at the moment because of the pandemic. That's kind of an arrangement that's come to an end for me. I'm still affiliated with the Dario. Um, that's still a relationship that I have, and I'm still part of this. They've got this thing called the Inner Circle. But I think the Inner Circle's actually, I was looking at some of the marketing stuff, I think it's the Inner Circle thing is open to is open to anybody, I think, if you want to become part of that kind of club, you know. And what they did, I think, um, with the kind of endorsees that I am, I'm what they call this educator Um I have an, uh, this kind of educator agreement with them, and I think they moved. I don't know. I was a bit confused by it all, but anyway, I have a, I, you know, I have, I have a good relationship with um, with Evans with the Dario thing, and and uh, you know, I, I can get you can get really good product to, to the trade. I think it's the trade kind of price or whatever. Um, and the Istanbul thing was was similar. It's slightly better than that, but it was uh, no, never never a free thing. Um, but I've got some friends that have uh, deals with other simple companies where they do get a certain amount of things free, and you know that that suits the companies to tool people up to make, you know to be able to sell their product. You know you got you need to have the instruments in order to you know to make the content or do the gigs that that demonstrate their um, thing. You know so they've got to find a way of doing that that's kind of financially viable on both sides. Um, but that Jazz Special Edition, for instance, is a ride that I'll never sell. You know. It's it's insurance value to me is irrelevant because it's priceless because it's irreplaceable because the sound of it is something that took me a long time to find and it's not something that I will ever ever give away you know and so if it was to be stolen or lost or whatever it would be devastating because it would be the end of you know um, a life for me because it's part of my sound. Um, and, and the Craviotto snare is the same. Um, 
when I listen to it recorded here, I get quite a nice sound out of it. I just there's something about it, the character of it that I really love, you know. But this other snare that I got offered, it was that thing of like, oh, should I? I should buy it. Really, I can't afford it, but I should buy it because I'll have it forever, you know. And it'll be and it'll be a great. It's a great drum for recording. It's not a snare drum I would ever use for gigging. It was. It's a drum I would use for recording. Uh, only and it would be you know and i'd possibly get rid of the black beauty if i bought it but the problem with that is that i use the black beauty when i do certain live gigs you know um and recording uh there's a track came out just for christmas this evans mccray thing um that came out this christmas song that they had and the snare on that sounds mega and it, that's that's my black beauty you know so it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, the, the advice that I would give and I, the advice that I have, should have adhered to in the past is don't sell things that you have any doubt about. You know, I just keep, keep, keep your hands on them, you know. There's a couple of symbols and things I've sold before. And there's a DW snare that I sold to a guy who used to rent a room off um, 13 by 3. Um, which I got a really, really cheap, and it was a gorgeous. I remember hearing that recorded on an album I did with Arun, and it sounds amazing on that album. It sounds better than the Gretsch snare that I used. And uh, I sold that snare to this guy um, because I needed the cash at the time, probably to buy some car part, which I ended up selling. You know, it was stupid. But anyway. So that's kind of a bit, I mean, it's a bit of, sorry, it's very rambly this, but um, that's a bit of a kind of update on what's going on, really. The main thing I'm going to be focusing on in the next few months in the podcasts is generally talking about stuff I'm going to be practicing in a bit more detail. Um, the content, my online content on Instagram and stuff is going to really disappear for a while. Um it's I'm not going to be making any new content for a while. I'm staying away from um, getting into that thing. I'm going to spend a bit of time, uh, retreat a bit further and practice. And that's been the big thing. Um, <clears throat> I think I talked about in that last episode of, of sort of saying, you know, when I was recording and I've been practicing a lot, you get into this thing of like, oh, actually, yeah, I just don't want to play at the moment. I just want to practice. And uh, and I made a sort of thing of... I was trying to get this stuff out at New Year uh, onto Instagram. And a, po a few things ended up being posted on Facebook because they got, they got cross kind of cross-posted. So if you're a Facebook person, you might have seen a few things on there. Um, and they were supposed to be the, the last things of uh, of 2020. And, and then there was going to be nothing until July 1st, 2021. But there's a thing I was doing with Pete Turner, a great friend of mine, bass player. We were there's a couple of tracks that he was playing on for me. These um, things I've been working on, odd time signatures, which I finally finished, and I wanted to put them out. So they've both gone out now, and they were just after New Year. So, um, but yeah, I'm so I'm gonna I'm sort of gonna get this this promo out for the playalongs, and that's I'm gonna be it, and that's been that's gone out, and then. I'm going to do a bit of work on trying to build the social media thing, the Instagram thing. And anybody, is anybody out there who's involved in that world wants to contact me? I'm happy to chat to them and pay them for their time um, because I want to try and build 
my content. I feel like I've got into a situation, which is fine, which is with a very cosy audience, an audience I have a kind of, you know, uh, people I chat to on there, I've, I have personal conversations with, and I never, would never want to sell them anything, and I'm not intending to be befriend them on there to sell them anything. I'm just be chatting to people on there because they're nice people, you know. I feel like I've kind of got into that area with it, and I want to sort of def, I want to sort of reset it all, and um, move, make it move a little bit more commercial, you know, and be, and I, I'm going to be a little bit less. Um, I, I do control the kind of follower and following thing. I mean, I get annoyed with these people that follow you, and then as soon as you follow them back, they they unfollow you, and I track all that stuff. And just to say, none of those people are listening to this, but just to say, if any of them are. You're unfollowed as quick as you unfollow me. You are unfollowed. I used to block them. Actually, I've stopped blocking people. I um, I kind of I went through a thing of actually uh, of of deleting all the blocks that I put in. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of finish that off. It's quite a lot though. There's hundreds of them because people are just snidey. You know, they follow you, and they might even send you a message and post something on one of your posts. You know, and it's a classic technique. But I don't believe it builds engagement. I believe it builds bullshit, you know. And uh, I don't think any of those thing, anything that's really successful, all those people I see on there that are really successful, one is they're producing really high-quality products and it's, they're doing it in a different way than I am at the moment and I definitely want to try and move a bit more into that area. Um, you know, and... Is you know some of it's a playing thing as well. It's about level of playing, you know. And uh, I definitely, I definitely want to up my game playing wise this year, uh, as I want to do every year. But I definitely want to make some much bigger strides this year. But um, there's this guy uh, called uh, Dimitri uh, Fantini. I think that's how you say his name. Um, he's uh, a phenomenal drummer and not not someone that I knew about before Instagram but he's you know hugely connected within the drum world and he's got huge you know huge huge numbers of followers and all that kind of stuff anyway I'm not trying to uh, to emulate or you know or to kind of do you know do what he's doing or anything but the thing that um the thing that's interesting about someone like him is um he's like got a lot of followers. He creates super pro content. He's a brilliant player. He's also produced and works in the studio and stuff as well and, and works with a lot of artists and things. But he's someone that hasn't unfollowed me when they followed me, which, you know, quite a lot of other companies that and people, individuals that I was having chats with, they snidely did that, you know. But he hasn't done that thing. And uh, occasionally we, we chat to each other um I'll send him a message or he sends me a message when he, when he posts something that he likes or something, you know. And uh, and it's just like, you know, whatever's behind that, it's just there's a, there's, there's just a positive vibe. It may be done for a business thing. I, I don't care, you know. It's just that thing of it's not disingenuous, you know. Um, you know, wh whoever we are and wherever we are in the world, the, you know, the music community thing, we say this to students a lot. It's like you don't upset people because the music world is tiny, you know. That that whatever degrees of separation thing is tiny, you know. Like like a story about that. For instance, if you wanna if you wanna piss somebody off, 
then think about this for uh, three degrees of or two degrees, whatever, of separation. You know, three degrees of separation, whatever they say, is six degrees, I think, isn't it? But, you know, this is three degrees of separation. My friend Lee Mullen, very, very good friend of mine, <coughs> um, we went to see James Taylor. A couple of years ago, he, he um, I was very lucky, he rang me up on the day, he said, Michito Sanchez is playing with um, with James Taylor and he's a very good friend of Luis Conti. Now, um, if you don't know either of those guys, Michito Sanchez is a mega percussionist from, uh, I think he's like Florida-based, uh, but he's mega, incredible feel, unbelievable feel, like uh, and a super nice guy. Anyway... Uh, He's very, very good friends with Louis Conti. But Louis Conti was doing James Taylor and he, and he, he had something, uh, he couldn't do the tour for some reason. And Lee, Lee, Louis Conti is Lee's son's grand, uh, godfather. So, um, and Louis and Lee know each other very, very well. So like immediately, if you're going to be a knob to, about, you know, to anybody, you know, you know, then you, if you've got a friend like that who knows people in that, area they're not going to say nice things about you are they? you know i mean i mean they're probably not going to end up being your friend but they're not going to say anything positive about you so um you've got to be very careful so anyway i went to this gig and after the gig me and lee because we had this kind of access all areas thing and we got in free and it was great you know and sat in really nice seats uh, i was sat next to in the second half of the gig um bonnie rate was it was like a double header it was bonnie rate and james taylor and it was mega because I love Bonnie Ray and she had a great band. And um, uh, there's a guy called Matty Yeats, I think, I follow on Instagram. He was there on stage because he was uh, Bonnie Ray's drum drummer's drum tech and he was playing percussion. And I posted a thing and he may sent me a message saying, oh, where are you? I was like, I'm in the audience. Anyway, in the second half of the gig, Bonnie Ray's keyboard player sat next to me because the seat was empty for the first part, and he was in this, and he sat and watched James Taylor, um, and he was yeah he was a guy who was playing he was playing keyboard Hammond and stuff and piano and stuff with Bonnie when she wasn't playing she was playing guitar and a bit of piano but anyway it was like a, and it was a great gig and at the end the big thing she came out and did some stuff with the, with the band and and JT had the full band you know. He had the Arnold McClure and all that lot, um, David Lasley, and all the back, all the BVs, and the, the big band. We Walt Fowler and everybody, and Gad was on drums. Anyway, so afterwards we went uh, backstage. We got sort of we had to sit in our seat and we got chaperoned to go. And uh, Lee was, uh, you know, going to meet Michito, which was great. And he came through to the back and great, lovely guy. Had a nice chat with him, um, but just before he came through me and lee were just sat there and steve gad walked in to the room you know and then he walked out again he was looking for somebody and they weren't there but just that finger for me you know that's as uh, as the gospel according to gad as they as the joke goes you know um you you're two degrees of separation there away from the great you know the great so you don't upset people and the the drum world is small really you know in, in relation to the rest of the world you know it's a small world and so i don't know i just think that thing on instagram of you know that's this disingenuous thing. i mean people who are, who are nobodies who are just like me you know who are just following people and unfollowing doesn't really matter but if you're like a drum brand company or a company that um 
you know, he's doing a thing and, and somebody supports you and follows you and chats to you and then you unfollow them. I just think that all that is a bit, it's a bit snidey in my book. Um, but yeah, but anyway, um, I'm going to definitely, the Instagram thing is going to maybe change a little bit over the next year uh, or I might just create a new channel and um, the thing I'd like to do is delete a lot of the content which is up there from uh, a long time ago, you know. I've got nearly 900, 900 odd videos up there now and they're mostly videos. Um, and that's since 2016, I think. Uh, 15? Sorry, 15, yeah. Um, yeah, 2015. I joined Instagram when we were touring with Tom in 2015. We did a, a the Ardan, uh, Les Ardan, uh festival we did down uh, in Liège. And um, and during that tour, during the, that summer, those gigs was when I got on his Instagram. It was the first time I posted stuff. And then I started doing the videos because it used to be 15-second videos then, you know, just maximum 15 seconds. And uh, I used to really like that format. Then I stopped doing it when it went to a minute, you know. And now it's uh, Instagram TV and it even posts big, long videos. But anyway, so that's kind of the, the vibe. But the podcast uh, is not going to change at all. So that was the, the headline news, <laughs> which is no news at all. The podcast will never change. So uh, because this is my archive this is um it's as much for me as it is for you so it's not created for an audience it's uh, byproducts is that one or two people may listen to it and it's published so but it's going to stay that's going to stay the same you know um the only thing i need to do more of this year is interview people you know um and a couple of people that i want to interview one of them i won't won't do the interview um, I'm going to ask him again because he doesn't think he'll do a good interview and he, he would do a great interview and he'd be a really interesting person to talk to, especially as drummers. He's not a drummer. He's a sound engineer and he's a brilliant sound engineer in my opinion and he's a very clever guy and very interesting for drummers, you know. And so I'd love to interview him, but he's not, yeah, he's, yeah. I've got to, I'm going to keep going with the persuasive powers. Um and then, yeah, there's a few other drummers that I'd like to interview. I've uh, just been, not been really on that in the last couple of months, two or three months, and not had a chance to kind of sort that out. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of it, really. That kind of concludes today. And um, this may come out today, it may come out on Sunday. So uh, either way, sorry I missed this week, um, but I will try to do better uh, in the future. And, uh, yeah, make this kind of Sunday night, bi-weekly thing, make a commitment to that. And, uh, yeah, so hope you're okay. If you're in the UK, then, um, you know, uh, hope you're not too bored. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on in the rest of the world. This crazy stuff was going on in America in, uh, yesterday or the day before, whenever it was now. Um, hope... Um, all that sorts itself out, everyone over there, anyone who's listening over there. Um, it feels a bit, um, a little bit disconcerting at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this is what happens in life, isn't it? Ups and downs, stuff happens, people get wound up, people get upset, and uh, all kinds of stuff happens. So um, keep well, keep safe, and uh, yeah. 
I'll be uh, speaking to you again soon. Bye for now.